All right. Welcome, everybody, to Real Hawk Talk. We're back for episode seven. It's a rare Monday night where me, Jeff Simmons, and our, my co-host, Brian Nemhauser are taping again. There's a lot of stuff to discuss this week. We got the Seahawks continue their ma- marvelous preseason play again. Another blowout victory. They're 3-0. and We're getting close to the roster cut down. They're going to go from 90 to 53 on Saturday. And we got a, we got a very special guest this week, so there's a ton to dive into. But before we get into the show, I just want to say this episode, like like all real hot talk episodes, are, is brought to you by Steam Donkey Brewing. Uh, it's a, it's a great beer, but Brian's been showing it off the last couple of weeks and tormenting me. If you're ever down in Aberdeen, you should definitely check it out, steamdonkeybrewery.com. And they've been they've been great to us so far, so we're, we're happy to team up with them. And yeah, we've got a ton to dive into tonight. Brian's here. It's Monday at 6.30 Pacific time. And yeah, Brian, I guess your thought, I guess let's get into the KC game right away. That was, that was another fun game where you saw the offense for pretty much a full half, played a bit into the third quarter. You saw a lot of the defense and they keep looking faster and deeper than any other team they're going against. And they're not going against slouches. These teams are playoff teams. They're good rosters. And the Seahawks just look better from top down than all these teams. So what were your thoughts on the game? And I guess, how does your view of the 53-man roster change after the majority of those preseason games are done? Um, I mean, I thought that, once again, um, the, team looked, the look, team looked familiar. It looked like the type of confident, dominant, team that we we you know loved in 2012 2013 2014 where I always kind of wrote about manifest destiny with that team it was like they you know I know you're Canadian this is an American thing American bravado (laughs) and uh, ego but you know back back in the day uh there's this concept that you know settlers uh, you know came in and decided that uh, the rest of the U.S. territory was theirs for the taking and didn't always do nice things to take it. But um, the Seahawks always gave me that impression during that time frame. And, um, you know, it was like you always knew they were going to win and they fully expected to win and their opponents almost expected them to win. You just didn't know how. And I think that we're starting to get back to that same groove in a way that, you know, as optimistically as I could put it, I didn't think it felt that way in 2015 or 2016. And uh, so, you know, people are picking it at a lot of stuff on Twitter. Hey, their run defense looked porous. Their first, their first string defense, third game in a row, they let a, you know, an opening drive down the field. Uh, You know, people picking on this and that. I'm like, we'll get into it a little bit later, but um, you look at the preseason stats. This is the number one offense in yardage, the number one offense in passing yards, the number two offense in rushing yards, the number four defense in points allowed. It's just preseason, but, oh, and by the way, they're the number four defense, I believe, in rushing yards allowed. So, you know, there's not a lot of nits to pick, to be honest. So I think we're getting to a situation where the, the question not is not about, you know, how good is this team or are they ready? The question is really – Who's going to be left off this roster? Who is the yeah. Jay Howard? Who is the Clinton McDonald that may have some value that the team might want to to flip before this weekend? 
Um, I think that's where my mind is uh, based on what, what I saw on, on Friday. Yeah, and it's not just the eye test that you really see this. I dug up some of these numbers, and I mentioned it in one of our earlier shows. But when you look at those three seasons you mentioned, 2012, 2013, and 2014, their point differential in the preseason was significantly different than the last two seasons. Where the, and a lot of time you'll say preseason records don't matter. They're not, the opponents aren't scheming for you, and that, that is true. However, there's a lot to be taken away from just the depth they have, and we mentioned it. I mentioned it all throughout the offseason. The depth of their roster just looked so much better than it had the last couple of years. And now it wasn't just talk. You look at running back. You look at receiver. And the big area to me that kind of caught me off guard is the defensive line. And we're going to dig into this definitely as we go, kind of go through this 53-man roster. They're almost too deep everywhere, the defensive line and the offensive line. And you can really learn a lot by a team in the preseason based on the line of scrimmage. And that's where you really saw how poor Seattle was set up, especially last season on the offensive line once their star- their starters were barely functional once the starters came out they couldn't function at all these guys in the second string with matt tobin looked fine on the offensive line ethan posick looked really good as a second line center michael Roos. they are top down are really really set up well so i guess we want to dive more into the nitty-gritty of the game and this has been a a topic on twitter that there's been some polarizing takes you kind of inferred to it earlier Riso Diombo, to me, I went through the game live. I watched the TV copy, and then I kind of dug into a second copy after the game to see if my mind was tricking me. And outside of the one or two plays that Pete Carroll even indicated today that he graded poorly on, Reese looked really solid to me. And there was a lot of people tweeting out that one mistake. And I know our buddy Ben Baldwin, who tweets out great clips, he likes to focus on some of the mistakes that our offensive linemen make. And I'm not here to rag on him, but Riso Diombo, to me, looked very functional and you saw signs of it. I know you mentioned this last week in the Minnesota game. And I really liked what I saw, especially from a pass protection standpoint. And I think a lot of the freaking out and the, is, is it seemed doomed without George Fant seems to be a bit overstated. Where are you on Reese right now? <laughs> well, I, you know, uh, Jeff, I've been pretty consistent on this one. Uh, last week we were talking about this when we had Danny on the show and, uh, my take has been, look, you know, I hate to repeat myself for people that have been listening, but I saw George Fant as a two or a three, um, at, out of 10 at, at left tackle last year. Um, the Seahawks survived. I thought he improved, but I, I thought he did remarkably well given what he, you know, had to work with and in, in terms of experience. And I think that he improved this year and I think he was set to be maybe a five or a six. I think People were talking about him like he was a seven or an eight out of ten. Yeah, it's not the case. I mean, especially like the team was super excited, and the team's super excited because guess what? They value run blocking the most, and he put on twenty pounds, so they were like, "Oh, now he can, you know, really push the line of scrimmage." And that's true. He was going to be much improved in run blocking. His pass protection was still a significant issue. Um, you know, I've seen him get beat plenty of times in practice. Not saying he's a bad player, but. And I'm not saying we're better off without him because we definitely aren't. But, um, you know, if you really think that he's a five or a six out of 10, you know, I'm looking at this and saying, you know, Riso Diambo, I said, I'm hoping that he can be a three or a four. I think he can be better than what Fan huh? was last year. Fan had never played left tackle. You know, he, he was brand new from basketball. You know, he's experience wise as low as you can get. Odiambo was a left tackle in college. He was highly thought of. Normally when the Seahawks draft a lineman, everyone scratches their head and says, why did they take him? Or at least they say, why did they take him there? 
Mm-hmm. When the Seahawks drafted Odiambo in the third round, which is a pretty high pick, universally scouts, analysts, uh, all had positive things to say about Odiambo. Um, the biggest question mark was his durability because he had fought through some injuries. So, sure. you know, it seemed to make sense to me that he could get in there and at least hold his own. And what I'd seen of him, um, I'd seen some some spurts. He's not very consistent in his play, and I think that'll frustrate some people. But guess what? Neither was Fant. So what I saw, I watched him almost exclusively to the point where I forgot about Jermaine Effetti, who we should come back to. Yeah. Um, and and I also forgot about Matt Tobin, even, who came in later. And I just was focused on Odiambo. And look, I, I think he was a mess in the run game. I don't think he was very good there. And I think that probably frustrates the Seahawks for, for, for you know, no end. But I thought his pass protection was really solid. And the one mistake he had, they've already said, was clearly an assignment mistake. He was supposed to, he thought he was supposed to kick out and block a linebacker. Um, he was supposed to be blocking the end, and the end got a, a free path to the quarterback. So that doesn't mean he's of no fault, but those are not mistakes that can't be corrected. So mm-hmm. I, I was thrilled with what I saw. And if you saw the way the offense functioned, you've got to be excited. Um, about the potential there. Um, and and uh, I, I agree with your assessment. I thought he did really well. Yeah, and I, I might even go a little higher than a three or four because how important pass protection really is. I know the coaches like run blocking more, but seeing Russell with pockets, it's just a refreshing sight. And I know Justin Houston, Kansas City's best pass rusher, didn't play. So there's a little bit of a caveat. However, they can get just okay pass protection. And it looks like Odiombo can bring that. That makes a long, that makes a huge difference for these guys because last year their left tackle, I don't even know if I'd go a two over three. They might go a zero. And they were that bad. But I want to stick to something you were talking about and shift the conversation over a little bit. You mentioned the run game, and I can't find myself more confused with this running back situation. Not in a bad way. They seem absolutely loaded at the position. And I've been on record and a lot of people have disagreed with me on this. I think Eddie Lacy looks a lot better than he's getting credit for. And I know you see him. He doesn't have the explosiveness on the other running backs on the roster have. But Eddie Lacy's not the kind of player you're going to learn about from three carries in a game. He's the kind of guy who wears on a defense over time. And you see how hard it is to tackle him. And he looked like a functional player. I know he may not be the best running back on the roster. Chris Carson's the guy I want to really talk about because every time we see him, he seems to get better and better. And I didn't realize how good of a weapon he could be in the past game. You saw a big pass down the field when Russell got out of the pocket. So there's him. And Thomas Rawls has looked great in camp, but hasn't been able to stay healthy. And CJ Procise, Mike Davis has been really solid. I don't know who the hell is going to start week one. How do you see this group kind of shaking out? Because every week I find myself totally confused. Yeah, this is um... – <laughs> This is going to be one of the more interesting decisions, and it could be the most shocking decision um, yeah. that, that comes down for the Seahawks. So let's recap for a second. Who's, who's even in this conversation to begin yes, with? Yes, right? definitely. You've got Thomas Rawls, who was the starter going into last season. Um, you've got CJ Procise, who was a third-round pick last year. The team has been incredibly high on. Um, you've got Eddie Lacy, who the team signed to a $5 million deal. deal. Um, you've got, uh, Chris Carson, who's a seventh round pick, um, who's, you know, we'll talk about him more in a second. Then you've got Alex Collins. I think we can separate him out. He's not, yeah, in the picture. I don't think there's a shot. You got here. Mike Davis who had a great camp. I think we can separate him out. He's not in the picture. 
And then you've got fullback and you've got Marcel Reese, who's the veteran. Um, and he can be a third down back. He's got a lot of things going for him. And you've got Trey Madden, who is, you know, the free agent, un, you know, undrafted guy that, that, uh, can play running back, but also is learning how to play fullback. So kind of, let's separate out fullback for a second. And yeah, yeah. for the moment, let's assume that they keep one fullback. Doesn't matter who. Let's assume they mm-hmm. keep one of those. So I, up until now, have been predicting that the Seahawks will keep four tailbacks. And it seemed pretty straightforward to me. You're yeah. going to keep Thomas Rawls. You're going to keep CJ Procise. You're going to keep Eddie Lacy. And you're going to keep Chris Carson. Simple. But where this gets difficult, Jeff, is elsewhere on the roster. Yes. Um, I think there's you know signs that despite the lack of production, I think the team may keep Amara Darbo no matter what. Um, if that's the case, then you're talking about a Tanner McAvoy or a J.D. McKissick um, or a Kaysen Williams who, despite his performance, may not be safe. One of those guys crazy. off the roster. Um and maybe a Jermaine Curse, but I don't think so. I think Curse is solid. So you, you look at that. You look at the the offensive line room. You look at some of the defensive players. And we can get into some specifics, but you start to wonder, are they going to feel like, man, Carson is durable enough? He's good enough? We want him to get carries enough? We should move one of these running backs, see if we can find another team that needs running backs, the team Rawls has got, got stuff on tape and get a draft pick back to create an open roster spot and go with three running backs and a fullback. Um, what do you think? I, I think it's not crazy at all because I don't know how you're going to get all four of these guys carries. And I think the Seahawks have a clear position of strength. And if you can maximize that, especially considering they gave up a fifth round pick for most likely a backup tackle, they're going to want maybe some of that compensation back. So off the top, Kansas City Chiefs, that's a team you can see right away. They lost Spencer Ware for the season. They have a history with some Seattle players. So maybe a Mike Davis or a Chris Car- – not a Chris Carson, a Mike Davis or an Alex Collins is a logical candidate there. But just big picture-wise, I don't know how Chris Carson doesn't become the starter right now. And I don't want to be guilty of recency bias. I know every week we want to overreact to these preseason games. but Carson's training camp in preseason reminds me a lot of Russell Wilson's first year where every week they keep giving him more and more and they keep giving him, he's playing against the starters and week three he played against Kansas city. It's kind of a weird pattern there. And he's looked better and better every time. And if he's not the starter, considering how he's been able to stay in the field, John Colleen today on the radio called him the best running back. I think of anyone he's seen in camp because most of the, the stars don't play much in training camp. We'll give it that caveat, but if they're serious about competition, I know Darbo is a guy that we got to talk about on this too, because one of their organizational tenets is I don't care whether you were drafted. I don't care how much we've paid you. The best players will play. And if that's the case, one Carson should be the opening day starter. And two, Amara Darbo shouldn't be on the team. And I know you took a lot of grief for that, but everyone seems to be agreeing with you now because whether he's on the field or it's in practice, he doesn't seem to have a standout quality. And I don't know what he's showing inside the building. And Doug Baldwin seems to really be liking his professionalism. But how do you not keep a guy like Tanner McAvoy or Casey Williams just because a guy was drafted in the third round? I understand the logic of that, but that goes against basically everything they claim to stand for. 
Yeah, it, it's it, it's true, and and that's that's kind of what I put. Out. Someone asked me, "How does Darbo make the team?" And I said, "Pretty matter of fact. I mean, he has a huge fourth game um, of the preseason, or the team doesn't honor their core philosophy around competition." And yep. that may sound harsh, but it's it's true. I mean, he has not been better than Cason Williams. He has not been better than Tanner McAvoy. He has not been better than JD McKissick no. um, up until this point. And he's not shown enough value um, even outside of receiver on special teams. And, and so that doesn't mean that he shouldn't be kept. It doesn't mean that he might end up being better than all of those guys. That's all possible. Mm-hmm. But if you know, you, you want to be true to your core philosophy around competition and anybody can make the roster and anyone can beat out anybody else. Um, it just doesn't make sense to say that he's the one that's won that role. Now I heard Pete today in his press conference and he already is starting to set the lay the groundwork for, you know, Hey, it's not always going to be who does well in the games because uh, we see him in practice and, you know, and someone followed up with a, you talking about a guy like Darbo and he said, yes, he's been playing well in practice. Look, both myself and other people that have been at practice can say otherwise. Now, he might have had a good day today. I, I wasn't there. And, and you know, I think I saw a picture of him at making a big catch today. Great. Um, I'm not cheering against the guy. But I think that's a, a classic example of what coaches in front office start to do to prepare fan bases for, hey, <laughs> we may do something that actually is not in line with our um, – our philosophy and you should be ready for it. So, you know, if they kept a guy like Darbo and they wanted to keep, maybe they want to keep seven receivers, which I think is a crazy number, but they've got a lot of value there. That's when you could do something like, you know, trade a Thomas Rawls. I think he's the only running back that has real value. You could try to trade Procise, but um, I think they want to keep him. A lot of people have been saying, Hey, let's cut him. That's crazy. That's nuts. Uh this guy's already shown Pro Bowl potential talent. He just hasn't been durable. It's his first year. You got to see that through. I don't think there's any way you let him go right now. No, um, that's not happening. But Thomas Rawls, I mean, uh, this guy, maybe he can fetch a sixth round pick. Maybe a fifth round that you gave up. Um, who knows? But if you can get anything for him, he hasn't proven he can be durable. You've got two other guys that can be starting quality running backs. Maybe you move on. So I, I think that's possible. And by the way, J.D. McKissick, who I know there's folks on the chat that are giving me crap about, uh, <laughs> he showed you part of the reason why. He was a he looked great at running back. Um, he's a quality receiver, and he's a kick returner. I, I can't keep repeating. I will keep repeating myself, but – there's real value in what he can add to a roster spot for you. And, okay, let's, let's, let's go at this for a little bit. Let's have some fun with this. Okay, say Thomas Rawls gets traded to Kansas City. We'll ignore the compensation. Again, this is a long shot, but we're going to have some fun with this thing. Who opens the season in Green Bay, number one? And who rounds out the depth chart? Does McKissick make it? Does Mike Davis? We're not, we're not considering Alex Collins here. He's pretty much off the team. But, all right, go through your depth chart running back, assuming that this scenario unfolds. That's a great question. And and you and uh, Danny Kelly are, are – uh, you're a little uh, out in front of me in terms of where Carson is in that depth chart. Yeah. I absolutely think that he he has the most potential of anybody on that roster as a starter. Um, and if you, if you know – if you had a great five-point grading system around durability, pass blocking um, – running catching um 
did I say durability already? That would be the fifth. So, you know, uh, in any event, I think he's the highest, you know, across, not, not in every category, but in terms of a total, total value there. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I can definitely see him becoming a featured back. It seems really early to start that way. I think Eddie Lacy is your opening day guy. I, you know, I pause because, you know, they've said Thomas Rawls is the starter. Um, mm-hmm. They've gotten increasingly quiet about him the last couple of weeks when he hasn't been able to play. It wouldn't shock me if, if he was there, if he was the starter. Um, and I wouldn't be upset about it. But no, That's very realistic. But you know, I let's let's say let's just play this along for a second. Let's say yeah. that he gets moved. I think it's Eddie Lacy. I think it's CJ Procise in third downs, and I think it's Chris Carson getting the rotation reps with Lacy. Yeah. Um, and then you've got a fullback, and I think I think you do have McKissick on the roster as you know an additional backup if you need it. Yeah. Um, so again, that's a lot of running back um, back there. Man, that's moving on from Rawls and then Mike Davis in that scenario too. Oh, uh, yeah. They're, they're loaded. Yep. It's crazy. Okay, so let's uh, shift a little bit to the other side of the ball now before our, hopefully our guest jumps on. But Naz Jones opens up the game with the first teamers and he replaces Jaron Reed, who's by all indications had a very good camp. And number two, Jeremy Lane. Starts out in base defense. Shaq Griffin comes in nickel and moves outside lane, moves inside. Was this a scenario where you see them just testing things out or is this kind of what you should expect in Green Bay? Yeah, I, I, I wish I could could say otherwise. So there's there's what I would want them to do and then there's no, what I, I want to hear what you want them to do. That's more important. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's both, right? I, I want them to start Shaq Griffin outside. I, yeah. I, I went all in on him last week. I, I don't feel any differently. Um, I know people are like, hey, he just got beat by Tyreek Hill down the field. Um, yep, guess what? That's going to happen to just uh, Shaq Griffin. But I think this is a guy they've got to invest in. they got to get him on the field. And they will be – I don't want to compare it to Russell Wilson in the sense that he's going to be you know, an MVP candidate like Russell Wilson. But it's the same kind of scenario of – he is a rookie, put him out there, and you'll be rewarded by midseason by the development that you will see by doing that. That's what we saw with Russell Wilson. They protected him a lot early. By the end of the season, he was tearing the league apart. So um, I'd like to them to do that with Shaq Griffin. Um, I don't think that's what they're going to do. What I think they're building up toward, it seems to me, is Jeremy Lane would be the starter outside, and, and um, then I wouldn't be surprised if Tremaine Brock is the guy that becomes – the third corner to start with in really? Green Bay wow. and, and either lane or, or Brock move inside. That seems like the more uh, conventional decision to make. I think they're letting Brock kind of get his, his feet back under him after being out for a little while. Um, and I wouldn't hate that. Um, but you know, I, I just think that Shaq, Shaq Griffin is the most talented corner on the roster outside of Richard Sherman and, and, uh, the Seahawks are better with him on the field. It's it's part of what we were saying before. Their organizational philosophy in so many areas has been what Pete learned at USC and what John did in Green Bay. Let's go with the young guy. Let's go with the guy who's got the more upside. We'll develop. We'll deal with the pain at first. And I think I'm with you on that. I think if that's kind of how they built this team into the powerhouse roster they were, and 
going against that for a short-term solution seems very short-sighted and kind of against how they built so many areas of the roster. And realistically, the team's going to be a nickel a ton anyway. So they're, they're going to be more of a three-cornerback team, and they're not going to play, I guess, Terrence Garvin or Will Hoyt all that often. So I think that third cornerback really does become a big question because if it's if Griffin's on their top three cornerbacks, I think they're making a mistake personally, and I think it'll be a short side one because you want to give Griffin this time. I know Richard Sherman took a couple injuries until midseason to get in, and maybe they're going to follow that model, but I think I would roll with Griffin, and even though he's playing Aaron Rodgers in the first week and some other tough quarterbacks early, I want to see him, and I think the best way to, for him to develop is playing time. And No doubt. No doubt. Mm-hmm. And, and I think one of the more interesting things going on there, Jeff, is, is further down that depth chart, right? Mm-hmm. So we talked about the running back situation, and, and hopefully you know, when our guest joins, I'll be able to ask him as well on this. But when they signed Tremaine Brock, you know, I think it created some roster flexibility in that, in that cornerback room. And I've been previously predicting – I, I f- have flip-flopped on this a little bit, but I've had – Tedrick Thompson not making the roster. I have them keeping four safeties and six cornerbacks. Well, based on what I've seen recently and just reading the tea leaves a little bit, I'm flipping back. I've got Thompson making the roster. I've heard, you know, uh, this is basically uh, reading between the lines with Pete Carroll and how he's talked about Tedrick Thompson and his future with the team and his special teams contributions. Yeah. Um, And DeAndre Elliott missed this game due to injury. That was a big one. It was. I think Pierre Desir has played well, um, and he he um, was in there. Uh, but I don't know that Elliot or Desir have done enough to knock Thompson out. You know, fourth round pick that they invested in. So yeah. now I've got five corners um, on the team, and both DeAndre Elliott and Pierre Desir not making it. Um, that's that's a tough one to swallow. There's a chance that again. That Rawls um, roster spot, if they choose to use it, they don't have to use it on offense. They could choose to carry an extra corner um, if that's where they want to carry um, an extra player. But um, that's going to be tough. Um, and and we haven't even gotten to defensive line, which yeah, may be even tougher. Later. So, yeah, uh, bef- the next couple of minutes, I kind of want to just get into just a couple of my quick thoughts from the game. I'm going through some of my notes and have you comment on them. And we'll get – I want to – double back on this and really get to the this 53 man roster and, and later in the show I want to sit down and really dig into this and we're going to go through areas they have some flexibility but just a couple of quick thoughts before we move on a little bit here um I'm going through my notes and first thing I had was Russell Wilson looked incredible and he made some throws but there are some caveats there are some things I, I was upset with Russell about however so just Russell was making throws from crazy angles I saw Mike Lombardi who works for the ringer, the former NFL exec, compare him to Aaron Rodgers, and that deep throw he made to Curse, the throw he made to Carson out of the pocket, and he was just carving. And the throw he made to Jimmy Graham down the seam that hit him right in the chest in stride, that was as good as I can remember seeing Russell look. When he has a pocket, he's a great player. And the other note I had that I don't think, we t- I don't think people talk about it enough, Richard Sherman might be the best tackling quarterback I've ever seen in my life. Oh man, That hit he had last week. I know, I know that's probably exaggeration. There's been some big hitting quarterbacks. No, that, that was a huge hit. That was that was impressive. Just every week he seems to he just has the form tackling and the technique so down pat. And I know everyone talks about his interceptions 
or his coverage on deep balls or his ball skills. But I don't think he gets enough credit for tackling. I know Sean Springs was a great – oh, hold on a minute. Hey, that Mike. What's up? Hey, Mike. Uh, this is Brian Nemhauser with Hawk Blogger and uh, Jeff Simmons. Hello, boys. How are we doing? Oh, we're doing well. All right. We, uh, for, for those who don't know, we got um, a special guest tonight. He's joining us from his car, and it's uh, Mike Garofalo of the NFL Network. He's one of the, the number one reporters at the station. He used to cover the Giants as a uh, beat writer. He was a national reporter for Fox Sports and is now at the NFL Network. And if you guys follow him on Twitter or on TV, he's been all over the Seahawks stuff this year. And whether it's been just insight on some of their roster moves or just additional, when he was down at Seahawks camp, he had some great stuff on the air. So Mike was down in Foxborough today. So I guess we'll start with that. How was the reaction down there without Julian Edelman? And what was the vibe around that team? I mean, there's definitely disappointment in losing Edelman uh, because. Uh, you know, as much as they added Brandon Cooks and, and, and have the depth that you think to withstand these kinds of things, that's uh, 98 catches that are off, off the board right now. And uh, he, he's a tough cover, uh, certainly when he's running horizontally. I mean, he, he runs a lot across the formation, across uh, the field. And, and, and when he's got a choice route, he's really, really tough to cover. So, as Bill Belichick said, without going into great detail, uh, there, there's a lot of things that, that, that are going to have to be changed as far as routes and route combinations, but uh, uh, the concepts of the offense should stay the same, and, and this is just another a loss that they'll have to overcome, kind of like they did uh, uh, by overcoming Gronk last year. So, uh, you know, I, I know that Brady is disappointed because if he clicks with anybody uh, best, he clicks with Julian Edelman best, and it's all about timing and, and location of the, the ball and the route and all this stuff. So, you know, look, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one for them, but, you know, certainly not going to be discounted as a Super Bowl contender for sure. Yeah, Mike, you're, right. gonna, you're gonna have to tell uh, Seahawks fans twice about Julian Edelman and uh, option yeah. routes. Uh, <laughs> if there is a, there's one person that I think got overlooked or under um, undersold for the Super Bowl performance a few years ago against the Seahawks, it was Edelman. Um, he was a, very difficult cover for for that secondary and huge part of how Tom Brady was able to lead them back. So, you know, I know they've talked about Chris Hogan and some of those other players, but, um, you know, it's been interesting how little they've talked about Brandon Cooks, um, considering what they gave up to get him. Well, they, they've been talking about him up there, and uh, I mean, maybe it hasn't registered nationally, but it will. Uh, and, and it will, I say that because – this is a guy with dynamic speed that that, that certainly can get down the field and, and make some things happen. And, um, you know, I guess I, I really didn't know the extent of his work ethic. When I got there early in camp, uh, that's what I heard from a, a couple of people there, and certainly Brandon talked about it. And I, I didn't realize he had such a great work ethic. I mean, I don't, I don't mean that to sound like, oh, the guy just gets out there and lines up and – you know, let me just go run by somebody. Uh, I don't mean it that way, but I just how precise he is and, and, and down to the detail. So, uh, again, that's the kind of thing that Brady loves. So you combine that with tremendous physical ability. Uh, and this guy is is definitely going to make some plays this year, make some really big plays. I mean, he, he made them for New Orleans, but now you add that to this offense uh, with some of these other threats that can hit you in so many different ways. Uh, I, I would fully expect that this guy is going to have a big year. 
yeah, it's all right. Let's shift back to the Seahawks for a second since this is a uh, Seahawks show. Um, I remember right after the George fan injury, which obviously offensive line is always going to be a big story around this team. You were one of the first to tweet out, and which is why you were so appealing for us to speak with, that the team was a lot higher on Odiambo than some of maybe the outside options. Do you have a sense of kind of where the team stands on him as of now? And I don't know if you got to see him the other night, but he, he looked pretty I, functional from our perspective. So maybe just uh, – I did. I, yeah. yeah, I did. And, and he looked better than when he got in the, the, the game before that. Um, and, and he – the game before that – Hey, Mike, you still there? I think we might be losing you. standpoint, um, you got me now? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, go on. From a physical standpoint, uh, they have an ability. And tonight you take that guy and, and you throw him out at left tackle. Um, you, you need the consistency. You need the toughness. You need all these things that you need from your left tackle. Uh, on a plane and playing basis, I, I'm sure there's going to be, I'm sure there's going to be some inconsistency, uh, but I, I do believe that when it comes to fallback options in the NFL, that Reese Odiambo bouncing out the left tackle is probably one of the better ones that a team could have. It's interesting. You also, um, I mean, one of the things we've we've noticed, and I'm, I'm interested in your take on this, is the Seahawks seem to have some roster flexibility and more depth than they've had in past years, and. Specifically, we've talked about, you know, the Tremaine Brock signing um, gives them some depth at cornerback and maybe make someone like Jeremy Lane or DeAndre Elliott uh, someone they could move if they chose to. You've got uh, some real flexibility at the wide receiver position where they've got a bunch of guys, Paul Richardson and Curse and now Casey Williams and other guys that are coming on. And at running back, you've got yeah. this guy, Chris Carson, that uh, just seems to be maybe the best of the bunch. And you may not need a guy like Thomas Rawls. And so I'm curious, you know, what's your take? Do you, do you think that it's, it's possible the team could choose to try to move one of those guys via trade before roster cuts to, to try to get something back for them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, you look at this roster. There are going to be guys on this roster uh, who are potentially going to get cut that could make other people's rosters in a hurry. And, and there are rosters, I mean – the Cleveland Browns are still building. Uh, the New York Jets are still building. So th- these are the teams that are going to want to pick at the Seahawks scraps on the waiver wire. And if you're Seattle, you, you always hate the – I mean, they tried it last year with Patrick Lewis. They tried to move him uh, to get a to get a pick back for him. And uh, I don't – it didn't wind up happening. I don't know if they were ever really close to, to, to something happening there. But uh, um, they, they will tr- – try their best to make some move moves as we get closer to Friday and Saturday uh, to see what the, what kind of value they can get. And, and you hit on all the positions. I mean, I, if I'm looking at the roster to say there are guys that potentially going to get cut that could be on other teams' rosters, I'm, I'm thinking running back. I'm thinking wide receiver. Uh, I'm thinking cornerback. It really would help them if, if Paul Richardson could stay healthy or that you could bank on that. But you, you just can't because he, he's had those – I hate to label a guy injury prone. I just, I, I just look at Paul Richardson. I just don't see a lot of meat on the bones. And that doesn't necessarily mean that him tearing an ACL a couple of years ago has anything to do with that. But when he falls on his shoulder and, and, and you've got a shoulder issue there, or some of the other knickknack stuff, you start to worry about body makeup and you really can't count on him. But uh, uh, when he is healthy, boy, he's phenomenal. And, and, and if he can stay healthy and they, and they can buy into that, then, yeah, maybe you can make a move and count on him a little bit more. 
Yeah, there's, there's, uh, <laughs> we could wrap them in bubble wrap. It would be great. But, uh, uh, I actually, uh, someone I spoke to, um, uh, had actually intimated that, that Paul Richardson's injury, um, in the first preseason game actually impacted what could have been some potential moves the Seahawks could have made then. And, um, you know, I'm curious if, you know, the obvious is they might move people to, to get back draft picks or something like that, and open up roster spots. Um, do you see the potential for them? You know, are there any positions you think that they could look to bolster? You know, maybe it's offensive line, defensive line, something like that. Yeah, I, I just I, I feel like there's slim pickings on the on the on the offensive line for them. Defensive line would be interesting. I mean, they've 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 got guys there, but they could use one more playmaker. Um, so that that would be one. I mean depth in so many places that you're, you're certainly looking on both sides of the trenches. If they're going to make a move, you would think that that where would be where it is. Um, a lot of, and I said this at the time when Fant went down, there's not a lot of left tackle options, period. Uh, certainly on the market. Will Beatty is probably the best among them right now. The former Giants lineman who was on their roster last year and just didn't see the field. Um, it, he is working out for a couple of teams. The Jets, I, I think I mentioned that the other day and, I don't know if anybody's mentioned the Bengals. He did work out for them. But if, if Seattle was interested in him, you think they would have brought him in by now. Uh, and as for Brandon Albert, all indications are that this retirement might be a permanent thing and doesn't seem to be really that interested in playing football again. Uh, so we'll see if that winds up changing. But uh, if you can make a move for a left tackle, uh, a team like, like I said, like, like the Jets or maybe the Bills, these teams that seem to be trying to compile picks right now, because they're not in a win mode now. Uh, those would be the teams that I'd be looking at, but just don't sense any great momentum toward a deal for alignment right now. Yeah, do you, do you think that the Jets are still considering or open to a Sheldon Richardson move? You know, that's something that we've, we oh, know that Jets, Seattle called yeah. about oh, him the, during the offseason. Yeah, I think uh, Sheldon said that it was, the, it was Seattle and Washington, I believe, were the two teams that he mentioned publicly. That's right. That he, he was close to being dealt for. Uh, they are still interested in dealing Sheldon Richardson. Yes. I don't know where Seattle stands on that. Um, I would think that at the right price, they they would be open to that because that would be a playmaker, like I talked about on the defensive line. But I don't have any real sense for where they are right now. I do know that if the Jets can make a move, they would make a move. Uh, I also believe that Mike McCagnan is not just going to sell off parts uh, to the highest bidder, basically. He wants a deal that is the right deal for him to be able to move these guys. Matt Forte is another one, uh, the running back. Not that that would be interested the Seahawks, but uh, he will deal Forte, but he's not just going to deal him for nothing. He would uh, make a move uh, to get back some, some serious value. And, and, and McCagnon's a guy that is a little bit more deliberate when it comes to trades and transactions. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised even if he doesn't make a move on some of these veterans that he has if it didn't last into the regular season and he kept some of these things alive. So we'll see about that. Uh, Stick with the defensive line here for a second. I, I don't know if there's any more update on Malik McDowell because I think it's going to a contractual issue at this point. Do you have a sense of where he is right now or is it still kind of up in the air? Um, I don't, I mean, what's the, the, the day I was out there, I think Pete indicated that he was not going to be playing this, this year. Um, I believe if he comes back and plays at all, it'll probably be a good uh, resolution for him. And, and, and they really have kept it tight on his injury. Um, but I am told that uh, it's it, bad and probably could have been a lot worse. Um, so th- th- this is something where 
I would say up in the air is probably the, the upside for him right now. Um, he sustained some serious facial fractures from what I gather, and uh, uh, we're going to have to see what happens with him going forward. But I would not expect to see him on a field anytime soon. All right, here's a bit of a lighter question. And yep. with the rosters going from 90 to 53, I did the math. That's going to be 1,184 players getting released on one day. How do you function in your job in a day like that? Because I noticed when even like the Matt Tobin trade happened, yeah. you seem to have a sense on him. And I don't know how many football fans even knew who he was, at least outside of Philadelphia. How do you operate on a day like that? Uh, well, I mean, in, in some <laughs> cases, you hope you fire off a text and somebody hits you back right away. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of that. And uh, what, what, I, what I try not to do is, you know, make the snap analysis or the snap judgment uh, before I really know what's going on there. But when you have all these things flying by you, I, I actually, I go back to last year. The, the Eagles made the trade, uh, the Sam Bradford trade, and everybody said, holy crap, Chase Daniels is going to start for the Eagles. And I immediately got a text that said, yeah, they're going right to Wentz. And uh, the, the, the same person said, and, and Chase Daniels not happy. Uh, so what I, what I did was I turned around and basically relayed that and, and continued to move on and track some other stuff that I was tracking. And Chase was not happy with that uh, just because it gave the indication that he wasn't. I, 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 it came off the wrong way. And he absolutely was upset with the fact that he wasn't going to start. But in my haste, I made it seem like he threw a fit and stormed out of the facility. I forget how I phrased it. Uh, specifically, I, I, I went in and talked to him and said, listen, man, I, I didn't mean to come off that way. He's like, and, and he said, you know, everybody's obviously disappointed. Uh, he goes, but I'm going to be here, do whatever I can to help Carson Wentz get ready for the season and, and, and be a good teammate. Um, so that, that's the haste that comes with that cut down day when stuff's flying, where you can get a word where it's taken out of context, or maybe you didn't convey it the best possible way. So. Uh, I, I don't know if that's the answer to your question, but it is a hectic day, and it will definitely be more hectic than it's been in years past. Yeah, Mike, you've, you've obviously you spent a lot of time across the NFL, and, and uh, I think some Seahawks fans would be interested in, in your take on, as you're making your trips around, where do you think, uh, how do you think the NFC stacks up? You know, what are your top two or three teams um, that you see really battling it out, and, and what have you, why have you liked those guys? Well, I like Green Bay. Uh, I, I really uh, were the team that I thought they were going to be late in the season last year. I mean, I was up there in camp. I spent a lot of time about, around the Packers last year, and as fate would have it, I haven't seen them at all this year. Uh, but I, I really came out of camp thought they, they had a really strong rookie class. I mean, when I showed up for camp, they said, look out for this Blake Martinez guy. He's going to be our uh, a starter and a leader pretty soon. Who knew that was going to be week one when he's calling the signal? So uh, I really that, – that's what I look for in training camp. I mean, you, when you go around in your, on your trips, you can convince yourself that any team has a reasonable shot to be a contender, I mean, other than the Jets. But I'm in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, oh, wow, they've, they've got a lot of good players. Uh, Trent Baalke didn't leave them with a lot of good skill position players, but he left them with a lot of big, strong uh, – you know, grunt guys, and they still have that. Reuben Foster looked like he was getting off to a great start. You know what you're going to get with Solomon Thomas. Boy, if these guys can stay healthy, they could win a lot more games than people think. Yeah, but 
then you look around and you realize they don't have any depth because of what's happened with them the last couple of years. So that's what I kind of look for in training camp. Which teams have a lot of depth? Which teams have, like we talked about with the Seahawks, guys that are going to get cut that would probably make other teams' rosters. So uh, I did like that with Green Bay. I continue to like that with Green Bay. I thought their their additions of Jari Evans and uh, Martellus. So I know the Seahawks uh, ex- expressed some regret last year about letting Jari Evans go a little <laughs> bit too soon. And uh, I, I believe John mentioned that, John Snyder mentioned that publicly. So I, I think this guy's still got a little bit of the tank. I do think that some really good, smart additions, not just for the sake of adding them. So you, I think I heard Packers in there. Um, uh, who else did I did I miss? Uh, I like the, your I, other two. No, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm long winded as I usually am. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I was I was uh, listening intently. I promise. It's all good. I the, the Giants. I, I want to be full steam ahead with the Giants. I, this offensive line that they have is just stopping me from doing that. And I really thought they could have even done more to help that offensive line, but. Uh, they certainly do have an outstanding defense with coordinator Steve Spagnuolo doing a fantastic job last year. Uh, uh-huh. Things should only be better on that side of the football. Uh, so I, 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 I do like the Giants. I, I think the Eagles got a shot. I, I, I'm expecting the, the Cowboys to come back a little bit. I, I really do. So if, if I'm picking the NFC East winner, I'm probably saying either Philly or, or, or the Giants and, and with one of those teams having a shot to make a run. The Giants more so because of that defense. Uh, elsewhere, I don't. I, I'm, I'm falling off. I, I did love the NFC South as a whole. Um, I, I thought it was going to be four competitive teams. I'm probably selling a little bit on Carolina right now, uh, and I'm fearing. I'm fearing the fallout. Uh, excuse me, the uh, the hangover for the the Falcons. So I'll, I'll buy into the hype with the Bucks, and and I'll say that that Tampa Bay's got a real good shot of, of, of bringing everything together. I really do like what I saw down there from that team. Yeah, they've they've struggled in preseason uh, on the field, but uh, yeah. they certainly have all the, the the spots you want and and some incredible you know elite talent in that roster. And, and they've got uh, if Jameis Winston can progress and cut down on the the mental errors that he makes at times, I mean they've they've got an offense where you just can't cover everybody. It's impossible. So you conspicuously did not mention the Seahawks. Are, are you uh, selling oh, well, on the Seahawks? No, 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 no. I assume, I assume that we, yeah, no, they're, they're in there for sure. I mean, um, that, that defense, uh, the, the way that, I mean, I, the, I feel like that new England game t- took so much out of them to win that game. <laughs> and I feel like, uh, maybe if they had lost that game, things would have been a little bit different if they had kind of, but that was such a physical, emotional game for them. Uh, and it was fantastic. I mean, it was a team that, you, you saw could have won the Super Bowl last year if they played like that, but uh, it's really tough to do that week in, week out, particularly if your offensive line is struggling. So if the line comes together, uh, and, and I know, you know, a lot of people around the league talk about Tom Cable, more of a run-blocking guy. If he can teach these guys to pass block a little better, uh, this team is, is certainly complete in a number of other areas, and uh, they are obviously one of my picks to, to be up there in the NFC this year. I have a kind of oddball question, and hopefully you're okay for a couple more minutes. Cool. So uh, this this Colin Kaepernick story obviously continues to you know have a lot of people's attention in the NFL, and I'm less interested for the purposes of this conversation about um, all the off the field stuff. 
But um, I wonder if you think there's a, a chance that the Seahawks, who met with him and were somewhat serious about him, um, have some sort of gentleman's agreement that, that they're going to wait and see and he's going to wait and see if a, a, a starting spot opens for him. And if not, you know, if they might consider uh, moving on from Trayvon Boykin and, and bringing in a guy like Colin Kaepernick um, as the regular season starts. I've got no indication of that. I don't sense that that's going on with them or, or, or with anybody. And, and frankly, he's to the point now where um, if it was the right position for him to come and, and, and play uh, with the right offer, uh, that he would take it. So I, I don't sense that that's on the table at all right now. I, I'm shocked. I mean, I think he'd be signed by the start of training camp once we got into, you know, late May, June. I said, okay, this isn't going to be done before the start of training camp because it would have been done by then. I did think, however, he was going to be signed by the end of training camp. So this is this is very surprising to me that he's still out there. And um, I quite frankly do not know where this is going to go for him right now. And he could be out of the league for this entire year, which is crazy to me because he certainly is one of the top 64 quarterbacks. Yeah, I guess uh, one of the teams is his ability to run a system. It, it, it is surprising to me he is not signed right now. Yeah, no, no one thought it would last this long for sure. But one of the teams you didn't mention, and it's obviously important to Seahawks fans who are listening to our show, is the Arizona Cardinals, who seem to be a game away from maybe a Super Bowl a year, a year ago, and last year fell back down to earth. They got an older quarterback, but they seem to have loaded up in the draft. What's your sense on them right now? Because they seem to be Seattle's best competition in the West. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they are. Uh, I, there's a lot of unknown there. And, and, and Carson Palmer last year seemed like he was definitely starting to break down a little bit. So I'm having trouble buying in to Arizona right now. I really am. Uh, production from guys like Robert Kindice, I mean, that, that's a game changer. Um, I, I'm high on teams like the Chargers, higher than others, mm-hmm. just because I see I see pass rushers. So if you see this guy and he starts to – if it clicks and he starts to dominate, it changes the defense. It really does in this league. Um, so there's, there's guys that I want to see for them come across, and, and they certainly have the talent in the back end of the secondary as well. So uh, they're, they're very much an unknown. You mentioned their, their draft class. You mentioned some of their younger guys. If some of their younger guys can start to step up, receivers can stay healthy. I mean, Bruce Arians talking about their receivers. Boy, that was, a, <laughs> that was an alarm recently, talking about how we don't have the guys to do it. And I, I understand so he sometimes exaggerates for effect, but uh, when, when I see him talking like that, I start to worry about this team. Uh, and the depth as a whole. So, Mike, um, uh, last question I have for you, and I don't know if Jeff has others, but we uh, we end up having a lot of kids that that follow uh, this and, and often are interested in how to become you one day. Um, they'd love to cover sports. They'd love to, you know, be part of, of what's going on, even if they can't play. And mm-hmm. I wonder if you'd be willing to, to tell us a little bit about how, how you became um, the – national reporter you come and, and what it's like to to do that job yeah i mean i i i was for sports talk radio station in philly wip and um by the time i graduated kind of got involved in writing a little bit 
teams for the associate. So I covered all four majors in, in college and pro. I was parlayed that into an interview with the uh, with the Star Ledger in Newark to cover the Giants, and that was my first time really covering one team, being on a beat and experience to kind of uh, see how stories and storylines and teams develop and, and, and the 07 season when Coughlin did a 180 and really came around and the players came around to him uh, was one of the more eye-opening experiences for me because I saw things when they were at their lowest and I saw how things all of a sudden came together and how that team believed in itself. So uh, I was around that team. I covered them for I think 10 or 11 years and, and then I jumped into covering the national gig for USA Today uh, and then from there to Fox Sports and then Fox went toward their debate format, went away from news, and NFL Network came calling at the right time. So it's been a gradual development of my role and in, in, in going from local to national. So I, I guess the, 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 the gist of it is experience as much as you can get and never knowing where one's going to lead you. But I tell guys all the time, uh, you know, you, you got to get out there. You got to do it. You got to get in front of people. You got to meet people. You got to figure out what you want to do, what works for you. And what doesn't work for it? Yeah, and it's amazing how many people today just go on Twitter and they have just a, they come out with either a, a strong opinion or a take. What amazes me about you is you seem to have a unique insight on every roster in the league. How do you stay on top of thirty-two teams at once? No, there's. I mean, look, there's. I think Mike's going through a tunnel. And because um, I, I don't have as uh, there was, you know, Jane Slater now covers covers it for us and does a great job. So there's really not a lot of reason for me to sometimes go down there mm-hmm. and get in front of people and uh, other jobs. I, I didn't really get down there. And try. So it, it happens where places and, and you don't get to some places. So you're not as strong. So it's, it's, what I try and do is not talk about, not pretend to know what I don't know. And sometimes that's harder because in this day and age, you're, you're expected to have, like you said, have an opinion on everything, have an insight <laughs> in everything. Well, sometimes you overextend and, and, and that's when you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar and all of a sudden you're exposed to somebody who's overextending and trying to talk about what he doesn't know. So uh, I guess the illusion sometimes is, you know, hey, oh, you know what you're talking about with every team. No, that's not the case. I mean, and, and there's some places that I always work to get stronger. So that's all you can do and uh, uh, basically say what you know and, and, and don't say what you don't know. Hey, uh, Mike, I just want to yeah. I, I want to thank you for taking the time to join yeah. us tonight and uh, uh, offered some great insights and uh, wish you luck on the season. And uh, hopefully we get a chance to talk to you again soon. You got it, boys. Thanks for having. Uh, thanks for having me. Maybe next time I'll show my face. <laughs> enjoy the we'll rest of the time. Viewers that way. All right, guys. Enjoy. Take care. Drive safe. All right. That was uh, Mike Garofalo of the NFL Network, who's clearly well-rounded about his knowledge. He's seems to be high on the Seahawks. The one thing that was interesting to me with Green Bay, and we're not going to spend too much time on this, and I actually sent Brian an article because Brian had mentioned this in the past. 
you mentioned depth. And the one thing I noticed just following some of their writers is they actually seem very concerned about their depth, especially at offensive line, which we actually asked Danny about last week. And one of their bigger B writers wrote an article today that Aaron Rodgers even mentioned that they're unsure who their swing tackle is going to be. They don't know who their number one backup guards are. And if they have one injury on the offensive line, they could have a domino effect that really screws them up and they've lost some really good players. So that's definitely a team to watch, especially since Seattle opens up against them week one, right? Yeah. <laughs> Look here. I, first of all, uh, kudos to you, Jeff, um, bringing another great guest on the show. Um, you know, I think we've got a lot more in store. You know, I've been talking about it offline. I think we're going to keep pushing that along, especially now that we can mostly count on our tech to, <laughs> to actually work. Uh, which is nice. Um, but uh, we learned a lot um, from um, from Mr. Uh, Garofalo there. Yeah. And I want to go back point by point through some of that stuff. I think he dropped some pretty interesting news. And it's mm-hmm. not hard to connect the dots based off of, you know, he was the guy that said that there was a roster tweak that could be coming. I think we can talk about what that is. And I think there's a lot of evidence that that our instincts were right about that. But one of the things he talked about was the, the Packers. You're right, and and let's. I mean, look at their look at their offensive line right now. It's it's is Bakhtiari at left tackle, who uh, you know is a good player, very good player. You've got Lane Taylor at left guard. You've got Corey Lindsley at center. You got Jari Evans um, uh, at right guard, and Bulag at right tackle, who's currently injured. And the article you sent was really about, hey, the starters are fine. Um, what about their their depth? The depth's really not so great. Well, um, you know, Jari Evans is, is, you know, not a spring chicken. And, yes, he, he played all right last year, but I don't know that you can totally count on that. Um, you know, Lane Taylor's all right. Um, I think he's, he's not a sure bet. And Lindsley's all right. I don't think, I don't think those guys are world beaters. And uh, they struggled running the ball last year, partially because of that line. And they've lost, you know, a TJ Lang. And they've lost a – um, who was the guy they lost to the Bears? Um, Josh Sitton. Right, right, Sitton. So I think that that's a part of that team that um, people are a little too uh, – they're making too many assumptions about. And look, Bakhtiari and Balaga have had injury issues. They have not been guys that are 16-game-a-year kind of guys. And um doesn't take much to, to really – you know, cause a team to, to implode. So um, yeah, we'll see. And, and a plus I'm just not that high on their defense. I think Julius Peppers was a bigger part of that line, even though he's older, I think he played a pretty significant role for them. Um, and I don't know that they've got someone who really replaces him. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, I think there's question marks. I don't think Clay Matthews is the guy he once was, um, you know, so yeah, I, no we'll doubt more into the Packers, team, but I don't, I don't know that they're the Super Bowl you know, favorite that a lot of people have them as. Well, we'll focus more on the Packers next week when we are more shifted towards week one of the season. I can't believe that's next week already crazy. I know, right? I know. One of the guys actually that I, who was struggling in Green Bay was a guy who was linked to Seattle a lot in that draft where they took a Fetty, Jason Spriggs. And if we were doing this show last year, I was waving a crazy red flag. Do not draft Jason Spriggs. And, Spriggs, and he was – he's – doesn't look good at all, so I'm happy about that. But let's get back to Seahawks in that Garofalo segment we just had because you're right. There was a ton of nuggets in there, and there were some good – so what was, I guess, your biggest takeaway from what Mike had to say? 
Well, look, we, we knew that Mike, you know, if we went in and asked him, Hey, you said, uh, you said that there was maybe some roster tweaks. What are those roster tweaks? He's not going to yeah. answer that. He no answer that. He's got sources and they're not going to tell him information. The way this works is, you know, if someone gives you information and you tell everybody about it and you tell everybody, you know, specifics, you don't generally get that information next time. So he's got to be careful about how he handles that information. So, you know, you do some, some uh, sleuthing around and kind of think about what that could be. And it wasn't hard with the Seahawks. Look, there's a few places where we identify that there's roster depth, receiver, defensive line, well, receiver, cornerback, and um, uh, uh, running back. And he confirmed that he thinks those are places where there are, there are some um, depth. He also confirmed, we asked about Sheldon Richardson. He brought that up. He also brought up, by the way, when I asked about, um, hey, could they make a trade before this um, this roster finalizes? He said, absolutely, that they'll be probably trying to do that. And when I, you know, intimated, hey, you know, what he, he on his own brought up some teams that could be doing that. He brought up the Jets. He brought up the Browns. We didn't mention that before. He brought those up on his own. And he then brought up the... We know that Sheldon uh, Richardson um, named Seattle and the Redskins. He believes that he's still available and the, and the Jets would try to move him. Um, so, you know, I, I put two and two together. And, and what I end up with is um, you know, I think that the Seahawks had real interest in, in making a deal for Sheldon Richardson. I think that that was a recent – is not just over the summer. I think that's relatively recent. And I think that – um, I, I think that there's some potential that the Seahawks still think about making a move where they, um, you know, take some of their depth and maybe some draft picks and end up with somebody who, you know, that those teams don't want to carry, um, because they're not long-term parts of their plan. And, um, I don't think it's likely, but man, uh, I would say that the, the Sheldon Richardson possibility, or at least, um, you know, uh, some other moves um, are, are definitely possible um, heading into the, this weekend. Yeah, and another thing that kind of makes that even further something to think about is that Frank Clark is seeing a wrist specialist today. That's and right. we all know how valuable Frank is to the team. He kind of had a breakout season last year, and from what I understand, the organization really thinks he can turn, maybe become a 15-sack player. And if you lose him for an extended period of time with already Malik McDowell all likelihood done for the year, then an interior defensive lineman becomes a massive need. And I, I hope all the news on Frank comes back okay because he's such an important player to what they do. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a bummer to hear about in the press conference today that uh, he was seeing a specialist. And, you know, um, that doesn't have to be a, a, a huge issue. It can just be, you know, seeing how he can play with it or if there's you know, wrists for a defensive lineman are, are usually not game missing kind of, even if you've broken something, usually yeah. you're putting a cast on that you know, a club or something. and, and, you know, JPP's playing with not even his fingers. So, um, yeah, true. <laughs> you know, I, I don't necessarily think that that's a doomsday scenario, but you certainly, you're better off as healthy as you can be and using your hands. Um, it, it's certainly a big part of that. So, um, yeah, I, I thought that, uh, it's also interesting hearing him talk about, um, uh, you know, what he sees in New England. And, you know, when we we got started, uh, you know, 
I've seen and talked to a number of folks on the Patriots side, not the Patriots team, but um, people that cover them. And there's been a conspicuous lack of conversation about Brandon Cooks. And, you know, yeah. everyone said, hey, when Edelman went down, why isn't Cooks the first name that comes up? And uh, from Mike's perspective, it sure sounded like uh, he thinks Cooks is going to be a huge part of what they do, which is what I would have expected. Um, yes. So interesting to hear a little bit of a different take there. And my takeaway is that kind of unprompted, he brought up Paul Richardson and his durability issues. I don't know if that's a sign that maybe the team, it would have been comfortable moving him had he stayed healthy, like you kind of insinuated, or that it might not be likely they bring him back next year given all their receiver depth. But that one really jumped off the page for me because that was unprompted, right? That was. And, and you know, I've kind of been guessing around there and talking to some folks and you know, we talk about Jermaine curse a lot and fans talk about him a lot and I understand why. And, um, but curse has got more years on his deal and, um, you know, is pretty solid. And one thing that Jermaine curse is, is durable. You know, he's, they always talk about the best ability in the NFL is availability. Um, and curse is always available. Paul's not. And, um, you know, I have some reason to think that, that if that, Paul had stayed healthy and hadn't gotten hurt. He doesn't have a contract pass this year. He is young. He has got a high upside. He may have been the receiver that they were shopping around and, and seeing if they could get something back for. Um, that's possible. Um, yeah. And, you know, he got injured. He was out for a little bit. He's back now. Does that mean that, that maybe he's got some more value and there's not, it's not too late for them to make a move? We'll see. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think there's anyone that could say you should really plan around Paul Richardson um, right now. He's just uh, unfortunately been too much of a wild card, but um, let's hope he stays healthy and is on the team. And, and uh, I, I think he's, he's got a lot of promise. Yeah. So I want to come back to our conversation about the preseason game and shift it a different way. So for those who don't know, or for those who didn't hear earlier, the Seahawks are going to go from 90 players to 53 by Saturday. So I, why don't we, because we're not going to be taping until after they make their roster decisions our next show, why don't we kind of go through the roster and kind of go through position by position and kind of get a sense of where our heads are at at this point, right? Yeah, and I'll bring this up for, for some folks to, to take a look at. Um, uh, we can see our current roster and um, – sorry, let me make sure I share this. And then I guess it's towards the end of the show. I don't know if you guys heard Brian's show yesterday, but Brian went on with Mina Kimes and Danny Kelly, two of the best uh, Seahawks voices, and went through a bunch of season predictions. So we're going to touch on some of those later. But right now we're going to go through this roster, and Brian's got it up on the screen for those who can see the show. Yeah, we can blow through this because we already talked about a bunch of it, right? Exactly. Um, so let's, let's start with this. Russell's on the team. Russell's looked like an MVP candidate. Who's your backup quarterback right now? It's Boykin. Um, yeah. you know, he's, he's not necessarily my first choice, but um, that's, that's who I think is a is, uh, is, is backup. I, th- I think you're probably right, but last week maybe double th- maybe start thinking. Because Austin Davis played fantastic. He seems to be much more reliable, but I think they're going to go with the younger developmental guy. But if Austin Davis shows up again like he did in the last game and Boykin can't make a basic pass – Maybe that gamer tag was a little, little much. But... So running back. <laughs> well, I mean, you and I had the same passer rating that 
Trayvon Boykin did last week. Jeez, he so, could have anything last game. And, and I, I'll go on record as saying I, I 100% disagree with Pete Carroll's assessment. And people can say, so what? Who cares what you think? I'm just going to tell you, that was not because the the line was you know out of sorts or that the team was discombobulated. Like, I thought the line played well as an interesting line. That was Trayvon Boykin uh, playing horribly um, and making poor passes and poor decisions and – you know, I I know everyone got really excited after his first game of the preseason, mm-hmm. and I've been tapping the brakes because I honestly don't see it yet. I, I, even that first preseason game, Casey Williams made four great catches that were contested throws. Um, I think they were fine throws. They weren't fantastic, but they could have easily been incomplete or picked off. One of them was in the defender's hands before Casey ripped it out. He threw an interception that game that was way underthrown to Cyril Grayson. Um, you know, I, I look, I, I think against starting caliber defenses, I'm not sure Trayvon Boykin is, is a guy that can really win games for you. Um, Austin Davis has won games in the NFL as a starter, and I think he knows what he's doing. He gets rid of the ball quickly. I think that's, yeah. that's a good match for what they're trying to do. Um, I just, I, I think Pete is too far into, um, you know, in the bag for Trayvon Boykin for it to go any other way. So that's why I think he's the, the backup. Uh, quickly off topic for a second. Um, the Lions and Matt Stafford just agreed to a five-year extension, which is going to make him the highest paid player in NFL history. We're not going to spend too much time or maybe even any time talking about that, but Seahawks fans remember Stafford from the last playoff game. Stafford's never won a playoff game before, and now he's the highest paid player in NFL history, according to Adam Schefter. So that's, that's certainly interesting. Yeah. You know, uh, you're right. It's it's news, and uh, I should be more interested. But uh, I'm kind of yawning over here. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care much about Matt Stafford. Yeah, I just thought it was worth bringing up. Okay, <laughs> you can tell All me right, to screw off. That's this okay. Show the lines suck. All right, running back. Let's go. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, um, I I haven't updated this yet, but um, as of right now. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that you know, I've got Thomas Rawls here at the top. I am going to go out on a limb and say they move him and um, that they keep ProSize Lacey Carson and Reese. Wow. How about you? In the end, I think Lacey, ProSize, Carson, and Locks. I say they keep Rawls in the end. I think he's an important guy in the in the locker room. And despite his durability issues, I think the team is very high on him. And they want to see him maybe with a better offensive line. And I think I think they're gonna they're gonna have to cut Mike Davis just based on a numbers game. And it's unfortunate because he's looked really good. And I'd like to find a spot for him. And yeah, I'm with you. I go Reese over Madden. Madden looked okay, but Reese is a very versatile fullback that offers a lot more of a option in the passing game and maybe more reliable run blocker despite the age difference i go reese there all right who do you get on receiver how many first of all how many do you think they keep because you just said you're keeping five so that means what stick with i stick with six receivers okay and who are your six baldwin lockett richardson curse williams McAvoy. Yep. Makes sense. Um, you know, in my world, I've, I've got them going with seven receivers. Um, yeah. and so what that means is 
I would actually flip this around. I think based on my closest reading of the tea leaves I can do, I probably flip Darbo and McAvoy. Um, and uh, that's tough for me to do because I think McAvoy's shown a lot of promise on special teams already and made some plays. Um, he's got a lot of things going for him. I know people think I'm crazy about JD McKissick. I've explained why I think that he has unique value that honestly, I mean, Darbo McAvoy, Casey Williams, none of those guys can be a backup CJ pro size. None of those guys can allow Tyler Lockett to not have to return punts or kicks for a while. That's a good point. I just think because that that's, that's value that, that is going to make him really hard to keep off the roster. Now, Maybe you can sneak him on the practice squad and you still get to have that value. But um, yeah. I don't know. Um, all right. Tight ends are easy. Yeah. I don't want to talk about this. Um, offensive linemen. I think this is straightforward, but I would think so. I like the first eight guys on your list. All right. right. Nine. The first nine guys on your list. I, I keep nine here. So you keep nine. That goes all the way to Tobin. So that's Justin Britt, Ethan Posick, Luke Jokel, Jermaine Effetti. Let's talk about him in a second. Mark Lewinsky, yeah. Ode Abushi, Reese Odiambo, Jordan Roos, and Matt Tobin are the top nine. That means that Will Precheck and Joey Hunt, um, as well as the new guy they just signed, Tyrus Thompson, do not make the squad. No. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, think I that's, that's right. I think that's right. Um, I think, uh, just a quick note, you know, I thought Jermaine Effetti played his second straight um, improved game over the previous game. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, I'm not <laughs> not saying he's ready to, to, to join Pro Bowl conversation, but um, if he can be a mediocre pass blocker and a road grading right tackle that he has been, um, he made some great run blocks again. Um, that's a lot more than I expected. I really thought he would be a disaster at right tackle. Maybe he still will be, but he's showing some promise that I didn't expect to see. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. When Tom Cable was speaking last week and he kind of talked about the, the jump of Fetty took from week one to week two, I kind of rolled my eyes and thought he was nuts. But he said he wanted to see the same jump from week two to week three. And yeah, from all indications, you saw it. You saw the run blocking. And what interested me especially was it seemed like Russell Wilson and Jermaine Fetty timed their drops way better in pass pro sets and in dropbacks. And they seem to line up with each other so much better than the previous two weeks. And that says a lot about kind of how the team has worked with Vetti and kind of used his skill set to kind of move Russell around. And it really looked a lot cleaner. And with Fetty, it's all coming down to pass pro because he's a road grading right tackle, exactly what Cable wants out of that spot. A lot like Breno used to be in the Super Bowl years. If he can pass protect... He's going to be a pretty decent right tackle, and I didn't think there was a chance of that happening. I even talked about him starting the year on the bench. Yeah. So for what seems to be a good battle between Afedi and Posick, that's completely out of the question now. It seems like Posick is going to be that versatile sixth lineman, and Afedi has won the spot with his play. And as much as I thought that was crazy, he showed it last week. Yeah, and I, it's ironic that they just when they said the left side was solidifying. Uh, Fant goes down, and the right side was what they said was up for grabs. And it's very clear to me Odiambo is the right tackle. I, I think Postic has taken a pretty significant step back. It doesn't mean that he's a bad player, but yeah, uh, you know I don't think he's challenging. 
And I would say Mark Lewinsky has really grabbed hold of the right guard spot. I think Abushi is is definitely the backup. And Pete said today yeah, that Abushi was going to move over to the left side this game, and Luke Jokel was going to get some, you know, of that, uh, you know, knee pr- process stuff that's been going around the team done just for for good measure. Um, it worked for KJ Wright. Um, yeah, he named like six guys today that are going to get it, so it must be like. People are really enjoying whatever the, 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 the aftermath of those, those, that procedure. Yeah, and that kind of settled the right guard debate for me. If Glowinski is the start this week, for me it seems like they're, they want him to get all the reps he can get before the season. And it is his natural position. He's going to have to be better in run blocking this year. Targeting at the second level was a real issue for him early in training camp and early in preseason and blown blocks was a big issue for him last year. But when he played a couple years back in the last week of the season, he looked way more comfortable than he did ever at left guard. So they're going to need to see him just more consistent. He's, he's strong at the point of attack, but he got abused by some good linemen last year. So he's definitely a guy to watch heading into the season. All right, so let's move on to defensive line. Yeah, this is where we get real interesting here. Yeah, so, you know, let's – Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, Frank Clark, Jaron Reed, Nazir Jones, Ataba Rubin, Cassius Marsh, I think we can all agree they're on the team. Yeah, Marshall's looked fantastic too. He has. He has. And so that's seven players. Um, Typically the team is caught. So go back to the roster summary for people that haven't seen this before. You know, last year they kept eight players. Their average since – eight defensive linemen. Um, Average since 2010 is eight and a half. Um, You know, I currently – I have them making keeping nine. Do you agree that they'll keep an extra? Yeah, I think you have to. I think David Bass should be on the team, no doubt. He should be a lock at this point. I don't know how he's looking practice, but in the games, he's flashed all over, playing different spots on the line. And given some of the interior issues, he's been able to be functional there. Marcus Smith really got high praise from Pete today. So they seem to like him a lot. I haven't seen... Huge flashes from him, but he's definitely looked better than he did in Philadelphia. And Quinton Jefferson's looked pretty stout. So uh, this is a really hard one for me. Who I do think you, so you got nine. You get two out of these three. Who are your two? I'm going. I'm going to go Bass and Jefferson. Yeah, I think that's. I think there's a coin flip. So yeah. I will tell you, David Bass is the guy that I would be most disappointed if didn't he didn't make the team. The guy's done everything to earn a spot. He's been good on special teams. He's been good outside rushing. He's been a good inside rushing. Um, you know, uh, his energy has been just consistent. Um, I, if he doesn't make the team, then, you know, forget the Amara Darbo conversation about competition. Yeah, philosophy. this would be the worst one. Yeah. That would be a real slap in the face because bass has earned it he really really has but um you know marcus smith is a guy that i I mentioned really first day that pads came on he jumped out to me um uh and in the scrimmage he showed pass rush um he's shown pass rush when he's played in the preseason um he's got a great body for it i think the team has an idea how they want to use him um yeah I, i currently have him on the squad but quentin jefferson I mentioned in my notes from the Chiefs game, second straight game in his limited snaps, he made an impact. He looked good, and he got some snaps with the starting unit in the first half. Um, and this is a guy that can play inside and outside and has some yeah. pass rush potential. And look, he, here's the thing that we didn't mention, but um, they brought in Desmond Bryant 
from who was waived by the Browns at defensive tackle for a tryout. And you look at his he, – he missed last year with a torn pec. But this is a guy who's consistently gotten at least three sacks, as many as six uh, in a season um, from that interior position and has been at sometimes a pretty dominant defensive lineman. You know, he may steal that spot. It may be a David Bass and a Desmond Bryant or – you know, but but I think Quentin Jefferson's really interesting, and <laughs> I don't envy the team having to make that call. Do they keep ten guys and go to, you know, I don't know? Do you go maybe, to four safeties or six five linebackers? Gosh, I can't imagine I know, yeah, doing that because Dewey McDonald is their second leading special teams tackler last year. He's a backup at all three positions. He's had a great, great preseason. These are. These are the really tough decisions that, that you know, a general manager has to make. Yeah, Jefferson might be this year's Jay Howard. You mentioned that. Similar skill set. Yeah. Already looking at other guys, it makes you wonder because Marcus Smith does have a unique spot off the edge that they might want to limit Cliff Averill's snaps over time, and having an extra edge rusher really would help them. They're a speed guy in the Leo spot. Yep, yep. Well, I think the thing that gives that makes it hardest for David Bass is that I think that the Seahawks have a harder time finding the interior, the interior guys, and he's he's yeah. played interior, so he can show. But but as a real defensive tackle, I think that's tough for him. And they may want to have a little bit more beef. You know, they've got Reed, they've got Jones, and they got Ruben. You know, Jefferson's the only other guy that is a real defensive tackle by nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that gives him a little bit of an advantage and Smith and Bass really aren't. So, you know, I could easily talk myself into a Quentin Jefferson or a Desmond Bryan, or maybe a Sheldon Richardson, um, you know, being on there and uh, causing a lot of shuffling. Yeah. That's, I don't envy John Schneider. There. That's the hardest decision, maybe even harder than receiver that they have to make on this team. So linebacker, you've got, you've got Wagner, you've got KJ, Wright. Um, I assume you're with me on Terrence Garvin and Michael Wilhoyt, you know, making yeah. the squad. DJ Alexander, you know, this is a the guy they traded Cape, Kevin Pierre Lewis for, um, who was a Pro Bowl special teamer last year. I don't see any. I mean, I could probably put him as a lock from my perspective. Um, yeah, I think so too. And, and then it's a really question of is Dewey McDonald, you know, do they keep six? And and I just gave you the reason why I think they do. Um, what's your thought? Yeah, I think I don't see a reason to keep Mike Morgan. He's probably the oldest guy in the bunch other than Wild Hoyt and doesn't have any club control. This would be they've been signing him to these one year deals. So I think they move on from him as much as he's been a good guy around the program and he's lifted up the twelfth man flag and it's been around for years. But I think the other guys offer more special teams upside. And the one guy who's really flashed to me was Palacio. Number forty nine. I kept running his number down. I don't think he makes the team, and I think he's a perfect practice squad guy, but he's really flashed. Every time I watch the, the second and third string defense, he keeps making plays, but I just don't think there's room for him on this crazy deep roster. But he's got to watch in the developmental stage. Um, I think you're spot on. Um, I definitely uh, saw uh, Cash um, show up in, in that game, um, especially. I think – I loved him last year. I wrote about him in my camp notes and um, he's a high speed, high impact kind of player and um, good on special teams. I think he's a playmaker. 
the numbers just don't work for him. You know, I, I don't see how he can he can jump up there. And and I think Dewey McDonald is, you know, not what people don't know about Dewey McDonald is he's a safety as well. He's played safety in the league. Um, he can play all three linebacker spots. And like I said, he's second in, in the team in special teams tackles last year. So um, I just think he's got a, a, a rare mix that's going to make him tough to knock off. And as we move on to the cornerbacks and safeties, I think we should do these yeah, together. Last big decision. Yeah. So, you know, right now I've got the team keeping five cornerbacks and five safeties. Um, I told you I've been vacillating back and forth and, um, you know, historically um, they're five and a half corners and 4.9 safeties. Uh, this is since Pete Carroll and John Schneider came around. Um, so right around five and five last year, they kept five cornerbacks and six safeties, which was insane. And they quickly uh, changed that and, and changed the roster around. So I got them at five and five. Um, and for me, I think it's pretty straightforward on cornerback. If they keep five, it's Sherman, Griffin, Brock, Jeremy Lane, and Nico Thorpe, who was their leading special teams tackler last year. Agreed. Um, and then on safety, if they keep five, I think it's also pretty straightforward. It's Thomas Chancellor, Bradley McDougal, Bill Aino Hill, and Tedrick Thompson. So it's Thompson versus Elliott for that last spot. Unless Desir is in the conference. I think so. I think it's Desir, Elliott, and Thompson would be the guys you're really trying to decide. One of those three. I, I think I like Elliott the most, but I, I see the team going towards Thompson as a developmental guy. Just, I, I don't know. Maybe they want to justify the draft pick. Maybe they want a long-term backup for Earl Thomas because McDougal's only on a one-year deal. But my gut says Thompson, if it's up to me, I think I'm taking one of the corners. And I think I think this year might be the guy I take over Elliott. I think he's shown more, and I was high on this year coming into camp. I remember I mentioned him on our first show, and it's up to me. I take one of the corners, but if I have to predict what they're doing, I take Tedrick Thompson. How about you? Yeah, um, that's where I'm at. Um, you know, I've I've had Tedrick on the on the squad, off the squad, mostly off the squad. I don't know that he's done enough to earn a spot, but he hasn't had the blunders that he had initially, and you know, I'm high on DeAndre Elliott. I think he's got, he's got a, he's NFL caliber at, at that cornerback spot. And I think he's going to grow into something, you know, he's not going to be Ron Parker, but um, no. I think he's, he's going to be a promising guy. And I think this year is as well. Um, I think this is a year where the Seahawks could let go two corners, you know, that, that end up really catching on somewhere else. So um, yeah, it's, it's, I feel That's like not I, I know this roster. Get John Schneider on the phone and help us. What's that? Let's get Schneider on the phone and go through this with us. This is oh my I don't god! I was going to do this on Saturday. That's a rough one. It, in the uh, you know thirty minutes, he probably is sleeping at night at this point. <laughs> um, you know, this is the time where he is. Look, we all get we we get so familiar with these names, even the back end of the roster guys, who who all uh, uh, these obsessed Seahawks fans like you and me um, really focus mm -hmm. on, but. Um, you know, for, for the last few years, what's always happened is there's been trades at the end of, of this period and they move guys around, they grab, you know, Nico Thorpe has been a guy, Dewey McDonald's yeah. been a guy that they traded for um, at the end um, for draft picks or for whatever else. Kelsey McCray. Could go the other way this time. You could see a few yeah. players that get sent out for a sixth round pick. If they can get a fifth round pick, you know John Schneider wants his fifth round pick back that they gave yeah. up to Matt Tobin. Um, you know, I think the only guy that has potentially fifth round or higher value would be someone like Thomas Rawls or 
maybe Paul Richardson, but Paul Richardson's on the last year of his deal. So I don't know that I see that. No, club control is important. Yeah, it's it's. I'm looking across the roster again. I just don't see anyone else. Tedrick Thompson, maybe, but I, I someone don't would have really had to like his college tape. Right, right. So I think we could see some of that flipping around. And um, man, uh, if they sign a guy like Des Bryant, um, <laughs> Desmond Bryant is probably a better way to refer to him. In the, in this got the best mugshot of all time, by the way. Uh, then. Yeah, I, I think that he would be nicely round out the roster. And um, uh, then you, you got guys like uh, Quentin Jefferson. He could be a guy that you could stash on the practice squad. There's not necessarily a lot of tape yeah, on him. That's, um, that's true. And, and I don't think Marcus Smith necessarily is. The Seahawks claimed him. I think other teams would. He was a former first-round pick. He's a little harder to hide than – Yeah, teams know him. So – yeah, this is going to be an interesting uh, interesting next couple of days for sure. Okay, so one thing I also want to say, Blair Walsh has totally grown on me. Um, yeah. I was super skeptical coming into camp. First or couple <laughs> shows, I was freaking out at all those reports. That he was missing kicks. I don't know if it was a point at Mike Zimmer or just his accuracy every game. I drafted him in my fantasy league in the last round. Nice. And he's totally, I don't know, maybe I'm buying into the preseason hype. I know I said that I have an addiction with that. But he's, he's totally grown to me. Stephen Hauschko is a guy I really felt comfortable with over the years. But, yeah, that Walsh move, if they, they got him up for nothing compared to what Hauschka got, that really looks like a smart move in hindsight considering all the stress about him. It does. It does. And, and uh, my biggest concern about Walsh was never his ability as a kicker, but it was – where his head was at and you know is this a guy that's got the yips and and just is never gonna be able to get it back and that's part of what i just loved about how he handled the vikings situation yeah it showed like he was past that he's like screw you guys i know who i am i know what i'm capable of i don't need your your crap and let me show you like let me show you i'm back and um i think that's so perfect for this team i mean it's exactly the right mentality the way this, this team approaches things and uh I'm super cheering for him. You know, I, I, I actually been trying to to find some time to talk to him and, and uh, see if I can get him either on this show or, you know, one-on-one for an interview. Cause he's exactly the kind of guy I love to follow and, and, you know, build more of a relationship with and, and, and you know, cheer for over time. And I think that uh, <laughs> I, I've been need some help on a, a nickname. I've been calling him Walshy and, and I kind of like that uh, for mm-hmm. whatever silly reason, but uh, uh, Mina Kimes, hit it yesterday with the Blair, the Blair Walsh project. I, I think that's a, it's a pretty, pretty good one. Although I don't like the horror. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't want any kicker named project. That's it's kind of scary. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay. So yeah, we mentioned the show earlier. You did the show with Mina Kelly from ESPN and Danny Kelly of the ringer. Mina Kimes of EMS. Oh, sorry. Oh, Mina wow. Kimes and Danny Kelly. They got married pretty quickly there. <laughs> I'm going to let them know. I just married the two Seahawks fans to make the ultimate Seahawk baby. Um, so you, you got into a bunch of predictions with them. I watched the whole show while I was watching some of the preseason games yesterday. Is there any you'd like to maybe repeat on or maybe ask some of the fans or you can ask me or you can touch on? There's a lot of good stuff in there. Well, you know, I think, um, you know, I'll, I'll maybe bring up one and then um, – you know, we'll see about talking about some more of this next week or something like that. Uh, okay, you know, yeah, let's... we're ninety minutes in as it is, so um, okay. Uh, you know, 
the one of the ones that I was interested in. Uh, so Danny, Danny was super high on uh, Chris Carson, and and you know I think he had him starting like ten games this year, um, which is interesting, and it doesn't show up on the predictions. But um, let's see. So a couple here. Um, the red zone targets, the top three rank in red zone targets. And as most Seahawks fans know, um, number one last year was Doug Baldwin. Number two was Jermaine Kirsch to most people's dismay. And number three was Jimmy Graham. Um, we had three different predictions here. I had Baldwin, Graham, and Kirsch. Graham being number two. I still had Kirsch as number three. Mina had Baldwin, Graham, and Richardson. Um, Paul Richardson is third. And Danny had Baldwin, Graham, and Lockett number three curious if any of those ring a bell for you okay we'll just go with this one prediction we've been on for since 6 30 so we'll stick with this one prediction i'm gonna go a little crazy here i'm gonna go graham number one baldwin number two and cj Procise number three assuming you ah, that field. came up that's a good one Same okay way. i'm going with graham over baldwin as much as i like baldwin they're probably their most targeted player They've really made a concerted effort to target Jimmy Graham down there. And the, you can see it in the preseason games. Jimmy Graham last year didn't have any offseason. This year he's been working closely with Russell. And they've really emphasized that in their scheme. And they, you've seen it in preseason. They've tried those deep balls to the corner. They're not necessarily working yet. Russell still hasn't mastered that throw. And I was saying this today. I'd like to see him do that play he used to run a ton in New Orleans where they isolate him to the left side run a slant where he can use his arm and catch radius. I think that's a play they have not utilized enough. So I'm going to go him one. Baldwin probably will end up one, but I'm just hoping they figure out this Graham thing because it's been driving me nuts. Uh, and number three, it could have been anyone. I'm just hoping that they come to their senses and keep Curse off the field in the red zone. <laughs> and I I'm probably will be totally wrong on that because he's actually looked okay in the preseason other than that one red zone toss. And I'm hoping for CJ Procise. That's probably a shot in the dark, but he could be such a dangerous red zone weapon as a similar role to like a Danny Woodhead who has a ton of receiving touchdowns. And it's the way you can isolate him out, use him as a receiver, which he played in Notre Dame for the first couple of years of his college career. And I think he, if he can be on the field and even maybe you keep him in a limited role, given Carson and Rawls and whoever they use are running back, he should be a dynamic red zone player. And I'd like to see him dial up plays for, because he's a perfect player to use down there. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good call, and his name did come up um, yesterday, and and uh, it'd be interesting um, how they use him. I, I will take it as a good sign that Jimmy Graham got two targets in the red zone uh, in this game. Um, I made no. I wanted to hit them. Uh, only one was in the end zone, but, yeah. but one was at about the seven yard line, and and uh, I think both were incomplete, which is too bad, but. Uh, We'll talk about that next week, I think, mm -hmm. as we get into the season preview. People are we got a bunch of stuff coming on the blog at hawkblogger.com. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about you know where they need to be with the red zone and where they need to be on third downs. Um, those are going to be key aspects of how this team evolves because, look, um, Russell Wilson has had a preseason um, that is really his best um, since he's been in the NFL. Yeah. Um, you've got an offense that is doing things that they've never done before, um, uh, you know, across the Pete Carroll timeframe. You've got a defense that's been looking really solid. Uh, we've got a lot coming to, to, to break that down. All the guys are going to be contributing to that. So you'll see that come up this weekend. Um, and then next week we're, we're into the game prep, dude. Like mm -hmm. this is uh, Green Bay Packers week one. 
Um, there's gonna be a ton to break down. We'll get into uh, we'll get into uh, the matchups and um, what's really gonna start being coming to be real. And and I think the Seahawks have a lot of matchups that are gonna give people problems. Yeah, and enough preseason talk for me. I'm ready for the real thing now. Fourth week of the preseason is kind of a wash to me. Not for the backup guys. I'm ready to I'm ready to start this thing. And yeah, next week we're breaking down the regular season and week one at Green Bay, probably the game of the week in the NFL. So I'm super pumped for that. And yeah, we'll keep rolling with these shows every week. And as we we got a great guest tonight and we're gonna keep rolling with those. So everyone yeah, keep following the site, keep following the Real Hawk Talk show, and we'll be back next week. So always a pleasure, Brian. Yeah, for folks following, uh, please uh, click subscribe. Um, yep. We're trying to grow our base here, and, and you'll you'll get uh, notifications whenever we've got a new show coming. Um, as you know, sometimes these things jump around. We're going to try to keep it at a consistent time, but when we get a great guest like Mike Garafalo, we're going to work on his schedule and make sure that's there. Yeah. We will post, um, post here and let people know so they can set reminders um, as early as possible when these things are going to be on. And um, for people that are um, insiders for Hawk Blogger, we'll, we'll try to give you even more notice where we can. Um, I know some of you love joining these things and want to set your clocks around them as well. So if you go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Hawk Blogger, um, sign up, be a uh, Hawk Blogger insider. Guess what? Um, you know, we've as part of what's been going on with Patreon and, and Hawk Blogger insiders, we've got access to Pro Football Focus full stat database. And I've been able to start providing some of the pro football focus grades to those insiders. So that's a great way for, you know, all this money, um, you know, is, is going to help improve the coverage we can give you here, um, as well as to um, Ben's Fund, um, uh, a charity that helps kids that, that uh, helps parents that can't afford expensive autism treatments. So, you know, we've given over $60,000 to Ben's fund. Um, I'm hoping they'll have a record year and you guys joining on at patreon.com slash hawkblogger is a great way to do it. So thank you. Um, and kudos to Jeff on a, a huge get today with Mike Garafalo. We got more great guests coming. So take, take care, everybody. Good night and go Hawks. Yeah, let's kick the Packers ass. <laughs>